we're going to get into the Word of God. And the big thing is, is right now, we don't want anybody to get too excited about getting into the Word of God, you know? I mean, it is only God's Word. And um, thank you for being obedient to that. Turn to 1 Corinthians, the first chapter. 1 Corinthians. No, it is a good thing to get excited about. When the Word of God thrills you, you know, that, that's a good place to be. It can and should uh, do something inside of you. Are you with me? Just reading the Bible should do something in you. Uh, if it's not doing something in you, maybe pick up your Bible reading a little bit. Or ask the Lord. Because it should, uh, just like food would do something in your stomach, if you had enough of it, you ever had not enough of it? Oh, getting responses over food here. And, uh, but it's true, the Word of God is food and it can have a real influence. So turn to 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, and we're going to begin reading here. And we're going to talk about, and this may be a series, but called Unveiled. And uh, what I want to do, what I believe we will do, is look at uh, things that are in the Old Testament that were hidden that are shown in the New Testament. First uh, Corinthians 1 verse uh, 17 says this, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And then notice this phrase, not with wisdom of words. Now, it meant, you know, just kind of catchy phrases and different things like that. Lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. What an interesting statement. The message of the cross is foolish to people who are perishing. I mean, it is just a foolish idea to people who don't know the Lord and are perishing. But to those who are being saved, they recognize it is the power of God. What an interesting thought and some different things I want to look at here. One is this, he said, don't use enticing words. In other words, you don't have to get the best words to make this work. And as a matter of fact, he said, if I use enticing words of like man's wisdom to get this across, he said, I could make this message non-effective. In that wild, the effect of ransoming somebody's soul for eternity that would keep them from going to hell, that could change them on the inside, cause God to come and live in them permanently, wash all their sins away, change them, if not done right, becomes ineffective. Ineffective. Isn't it true, on a car, you can have the smallest thing wrong and render your car ineffective? Just a battery cable disconnected doesn't mean that the car is not an awesome car, a faithful, dependable car, a car that could get you wherever you wanted. And if that cable was connected, it could take you to another country, obviously over land, not sea. But you think about it, something small like that would render the car ineffective. It's of 
it's of great interest that there could be things that could make the gospel not effective in an individual's life. That doesn't mean that the gospel is ineffective, but he tells us here in the 18th verse, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God, or they recognize God's ability in that. They recognize God's ability in it. No effect. This message is revolutionary. Isn't it interesting? You can share this same message to two people, and one will accept it, and it will change them. Another would reject it, and they would be then condemned. And that doesn't mean the person who rejects it, you know, there's, you know, whatever, like they're just so different. It's just they don't humble themselves to God's method. Jesus said it like this, go into all the world and preach the good news. Well, what is the good news? Somebody else suffered for you. Somebody else died for you. Somebody else rose again for you that so that you could have an abundant life. Not just be saved. You know, when I first got saved, I, I didn't know you could have abundant life. I thought what you could have is a ticket to escape hell. And you know what? That's good enough. But I would drive around and think, this is awesome, I need to tell everybody. But I was miserable. And, but at the same time, I was rejoicing. And I had this experience. I didn't know that this new birth was supposed to give us a revolutionized life beyond just a ticket to heaven. And so to us, this message is God's power not just to make you new for one day so you can get to heaven, but it's so you're, you can live an abundant life. Are you with me? He's the Prince of Peace so you can have peace from the time you get saved till the time you go to be with Him or He returns. He's the Prince that, of Peace. He in His kingdom is an abundant kingdom so that you can live an abundant life and affect this world. I said you. Affect this world until He returns. Now let's go back and look at this. And think about it. The world would think this is foolish. I mean, you know, a guy is going to die on a cross. But to those who are saved or given their life to the Lord, or you could say it like this, have a chance to hear it. Because some people who think the message is foolish or going to church is a foolish thing, I, I used to know people who would talk like that and they would tell me, it's a crutch. You need that. You know what a crutch is. You know, to assist you. Because you're just a weak person. And I would think, no! No, it's not that at all. And, and I would hear them say that to other people. You, you, you go to church because it's a crutch. And they would down the message. But those same people, once they heard it, God worked with that message. 
And when they heard that message, God drew them, and some of them came. Some of them uh, followed me and others in. And then after, if you would talk to them and say, remember when you talked about it being a crutch? That idea would be out the window. The whole foolishness, gone. Notice this, the second chapter, the first verse. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. Why, why did he tell us he wouldn't do that before? He said the reason he didn't do that is he didn't want to make that power not effective. There is a man, and maybe you've heard about him, his name was Smith Wigglesworth. For years, he preached, uh, I don't know, until 48, I think, or 40, 1940, somewhere in 47, and uh, he went to be with the Lord. But he had phenomenal results. And I heard a man who would have him come preach in South Africa every year or as often as he could, I, he said, I try to get him to come here. He said, because the people here in South Africa are uneducated and pretty much just not that intelligent. Now, not as a whole, but he had just learned that education had not gotten there. And he said, so that's the reason I, I bring Smith Wigglesworth in here. Now somebody might say, now you're making fun of the people and you're making fun of this guy named Smith because if you have a name like Wigglesworth, you're probably going to get made fun of, you know. No, he wasn't making fun of him. He said God moves so strong through him, he said I wanted them to experience what it would be like and, and give them expectation that God would use somebody so mightily because God moved through this man, Smith Wigglesworth, so phenomenally. He said, I just wanted them to see what God could do with somebody who's not eloquent, who doesn't have a great education, but just will preach with boldness the Word of God and be consecrated to God. Because how many people let the enemy disqualify them from doing what God wants them to do because the thought comes, you're not educated enough, you don't know enough, you're not smart enough, you haven't done enough of this. And listen, not every thought that comes into your head is from God. And not every thought that persists in your head is God. Probably people could hear that again. Not every thought that comes to your head is from God. Now, I don't even care if you're praying. Not every thought that comes to your head is from God. Not every thought that persists in your head is from God. That's important. You know why? Because some of the greatest giants that have killed Christian initiative have not been Goliath, but what Goliath did. What was he doing to David? How did he remember David and Goliath? How were all the children of Israel so intimidated, full out armies, people who had covenant with God? What made them cower? 
he sat there and mocked them day after day after day after day after day and said, I'm going to do this and this is going to happen. How many people have thought, well, I need to rise up against a giant and not realize the giant were just thoughts that were bombarding their head the whole time. And if they would have just rose up and said, no, because here's the thing, you can't always stop some big giant thing from talking to your head. Wouldn't that be nice? But you know, you can, you can do like Jesus did and others did and say no. Because remember, turn this, turn this bread, this rock into bread. And the enemy's talking. He didn't go, that sounds like a good idea. Maybe I should do this or I'll worship you and go a different path. Think about it. Thoughts came to Jesus' head that said, you need to bow down and not serve this and not serve God, but serve this. And they came as thoughts like us. But he recognized it was the devil. And you know, if you have negative thoughts that are coming against your head, you need to know the source. They are not God. He is not in the business of robbing you. And when the devil is removed, so will all those thoughts. You ever water something and go, the water just needs to soak in a little bit. So you just stop for a second. <laughs> Let's soak in. Because that needs to soak in. You know, anything that's destroying your spiritual initiative is the devil. Anything that's going, let's go ahead and compromise is flat the devil. Anything that's going, oh, you'd be better off to do this, flat the devil. So how do you know that? 101. I was at my mom's this week, stopped by there. We watched uh, Jeopardy, the religious uh, education, I mean the education channel for mankind. You can learn a lot there. One of the questions is something, whatever. I got it right. I guess a lot. But it's like this elementary thing. You know, class, I'm all, oh, that's 101. That's the first thing. That's what you got to know. And then they're like, 101. I'm like, I know you're not excited, but I don't get a lot of them right. So I was... Like 101, that's the elementary thing. And we can go back to the beginning and look at the elementary thing and look at his design and how he worked with Adam and Eve and how these thoughts just came to him and said, it's okay to compromise and try to devalue. And really, he's just working to rob. So if, if uh, things that come to you are not working to build you up, know the source. And don't just think, well, th this is just part of living here. It is, but only because of the enemy. And here's another thing. Don't freak out. Ah, the devil's talking to me. Yeah, he was talking to you and you didn't even know it. So don't panic now. It's the truth. You know, you go to tell somebody, oh, the devil put that thought in your mind, and then it's like, oh, the devil. But he had been talking to them for years about it. Don't be bothered. All he does is exactly what the Bible said. He goes about like a roaring lion, 
seeking whom he may devour. He's just working to give a good to get you to be intimidated. It didn't say he's a lion. As a matter of fact, Jesus has already disarmed him. So his weapon is thoughts, ideas, really the power of suggestion. And if you go back and read how Eve and Adam uh, got on the wrong path, it was through the power of suggestion, learning to reason a different way. I'm glad you're here too, and the Lord's working, because this needs to sink into some people's heads, because they can go, I am called, bless God, dummy. And this is what I'm supposed to do. And this is the way I'm supposed to walk. And this is the way I'm supposed to live. Amen. Just let the water land and go. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. But notice, verse 1, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come. Good thing it just didn't say, stop there. I came to you, but I didn't come to you. No, he did, but not with excellence of speech. You know, sometimes some of the most simple truths from God are really what, where we need to stay. He said, declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. In other words, Paul basically said this when he wrote to these people, this is what my life and my ministry is revolving around. Whatever happened at the cross, whatever happened when Jesus uh, became a substitute for us, and when he became a substitute for us, the way Paul would preach was, uh, it was not just your sins are forgiven, it was an effectiveness and a revolution of the whole life. Gifts and endowment are given. You're washed. You've been given authority. You've been given authority spiritually over your own emotions, your own physical stuff, and just every area of life should be influenced is the way he preached. That's super important. Because when we hear about the cross, sometimes people think, well, this is just about your sins being forgiven. No, when Jesus died, he paid for everything. As a matter of fact, he's called the second Adam. Adam allowed stuff to affect his whole life, that one thing. Now with Jesus, it's to affect our whole life too. So abundant life literally is what you have. God wants it to affect everything in your life. Bible reading shouldn't be a drudge. It should be affected by eternal life. Praying should not be a drudge. It should be affected by eternal life. Serving God should not be a drudge. But do you know that there are enemies to your soul that will tell you it's not wise and push? You've got to push back. You've got to push back. All of your spiritual life. And there will be times where it will seem like I don't have to push. It's just like, I'm rolling. Woo! And then other times you're going to go, I need a push. And you're going to need to push yourself. But you recognize there are forces there were, there, that are unseen. And they'll come to discourage. 
But like David, he encouraged himself in the Lord. You know, you can't walk around going, will you encourage me right now? I mean, we should encourage one another, but it's kind of awkward. You guys got a minute? Can you just encourage me? Well, we could, but at the same time, sometimes we need to recognize, hey, I can make it through this. I'm The destiny God has for me, not just when I leave this earth, is from glory to glory, from faith to faith. So any opposition, I know this as I keep going, I'm going from faith to a greater faith, and I'm going from a glory to a greater glory. I just, that's how it is, because that's his design. Turn to Luke 24. The cross is where it was all paid for. The cross is huge. Luke 24. And we'll begin reading in verse 27. 24, verse 27. And it says this, And beginning at Moses... Were you playing a video game? I'm kidding. Playing with that toy. And uh, verse 27. <laughs> I won't even start. I remember hearing a story about this one preacher that the church started laughing so much that, um, oh, they were your toys. <laughs> Somebody's over here laughing. I'm not going to give direction. And they started snorting. I thought, we're going to lose the whole thing. Before we get started, Luke 24, let's reel it in here, Luke 24, verse 27, and beginning at Moses, now this is Jesus after he died and rose again, and what are we talking about? We're talking about the power of the cross, and that everything that happened in the cross is to revolutionize a person's life. And it's so wild that some respect it and others think it's foolish and they don't realize, man, there is just something there that it could, I mean, presented to somebody and accepted by somebody uh, will bring change. I mean, serious, serious change. So Jesus has died. He's risen from the dead. This is one of his encounters with some of his disciples. They didn't recognize him at first. The last time they had seen him, he had been beaten so bad, he was not recognizable. I mean, his back, his chest, his face. I mean, he had thorns in his head. And it wasn't just rose thorns. I mean, they were big thorns. And he had just been punched and beaten where he was not recognizable. And, and now he's risen from the dead and he's starting to appear to his disciples. And it's interesting to me what he does when he appears to them. Verse 27, and beginning at Moses. Now, if you don't know what he means by Moses, he's talking about the first books in the Bible and all the prophets. That basically means he was sharing with them the... Bible, the only Bible or the scripture that was written, the New Testament wasn't written at that time, but the part that was written, he started sharing that and expounded to them all, or I'm sorry, 
he expounded to them in all scriptures the things concerning him. In other words, through from the beginning of the Bible on, Jesus was hidden in the scriptures. You, you can find pictures. That's why I said we're talking about being, things being unveiled. There are things that as you read in the Old Testament, in plain sight, now that Jesus has died and risen from the dead, you can see pictures of Jesus and what He did. And they are, they're hidden in plain sight. And they're as much a revelation and a, a total impact on a person's life as the message of the cross, because really the cross is hidden in them. Meaning, you know, a lot of people know the story of Abraham, and, and Abraham had a covenant with God, and God said, I'm going to bless all of humanity through this covenant I have with you. And so Abraham said, all right, that sounds great. Doesn't that sound great? God wants to bless everybody through you. That means you're going to be ultra blessed. I mean, I can't hand out pieces of gum to everybody if I don't got pieces of gum for everybody. And so when he said, I'm going to bless all of humanity through you, and so he said, all right. And then God said to him, I want you to obey me in something. And I guarantee he was not feeling it on this day. But he loved God. And God said, I want you to offer your son. Say what? Your only son that you could not have naturally supernaturally I provided because your wife could not bear children. And so Abraham's like, all right, I'll do it, God. He believed because God said he would um, do something through that kid that beyond the present pressure, God would even raise him from the dead. So he takes his son, but then what he does is he takes him up on this mountain and he's going to sacrifice him, and he makes the son gather a bundle of sticks and carry the sticks. Well, isn't it interesting that Jesus was a son that his father offered up, and he had to carry his cross or his wood to the place of suffering, and once God saw that Abraham's heart was obedient, he said, don't do it. And God provided a ram. And we have a lamb. But it's interesting the picture that's there of what Jesus would do in the future. And so Jesus, the first message he preached was from the Bible. And he went through all the scriptures showing where he was hidden in the Old Testament. Let's read on. Look at this, verse 31. It says, And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. In other words, they recognized him, they heard him, but as we read on, look at this. And they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us? Which literally, if you look at the Greek, it says, was our, not our insides enlightened? There was something happening inside of us? While, we, while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us. 
That's why I said earlier that when we open the Scriptures, it will do something inside of us. This is not the first and last encounter where the Word of God is powerful enough that if people hear it, that it will not do something. It will always do something. Now, how I respond to it is a different program. Are you with me? Stephen preached a great message. They were cut to the heart. They closed their ears, overcame him, killed him. Peter does the same thing. What do I got to do to be saved? The Word has power. As believers, we should recognize that. But one thing that we notice from these scriptures here that he opened up to them, he showed them pictures of himself in the Old Testament. And so let's go back to Exodus 15 and take a look at possibly one of the ones he showed them. Because I don't know how long he was on the road showing them, but he went through, and it said he traveled through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and went on through the minor and major prophets. It said he went through the prophets. So he was just, talk about a sermon. There was a minister who uh, preached in the 40s and 50s and became uh, uh, just a really well-known preacher, and he would preach and show Jesus in every book through the Bible. And he would preach real fast, because otherwise you're going to be there a while. And just to explain Jesus in every book. Well, we're going to look at a picture of Jesus and really the cross here in verse uh, Exodus 15. And we'll begin reading in verse 23. A picture really of the cross... It says this, uh, we'll go to 22. So Moses, verse 22, 15, 22. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they were there three days. So they, have, they haven't been out of Egypt a long time. Egypt is a picture of coming out of the world for a Christian and entering into new life. And they were there for three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Mara, or Mara, which is bitter, they uh, could not drink the waters of Mara, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it is called Mara, or bitter. So think about this. They've been saved. They've been delivered. God has done a wonderful work. They know what it is to come out. And it, literally, the Bible in the New Testament said they were all baptized in the Red Sea. So they came out. They got saved. It's like they got baptized. God delivered them. They partook of the lamb, you know, of the Passover meal, which is a picture of Jesus. They come out, and they've been three days Three days, and verse 24 happened, and the people complained. Wow. <laughs> Three days after something revolutionary, and they're complaining. Complaining is uh, something that cost... They, they had this habit. Later on when they complained, it caused them to be bitten by serpents. Why? Because complaining is an expression of a heart attitude. 
so is gratitude. But we'll keep reading. So there's this bitter water here, and they, say, they, they complained to Moses saying, what shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, Moses did, and the Lord showed him a tree. Showed him a tree. What did Jesus die on? A lot of places said he died on a tree. Some places it says he showed him a piece of wood. Depending on the translation. And then when he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. The waters became sweet. To me, when he's talking and showing this picture of this wood, which would seem foolish. I mean, how many think that's a remedy for making water sweet. I mean, if we're out in the desert, you know, and there's water that's poisonous and it could hurt you, and, you know, you know, somebody's like, hey, there's a twig. Toss it in there. Does that sound like foolishness? Just go ahead and throw it in. But it's by the instruction of the Lord. Well, who's the first one that's going to go, I'll take a drink. Just give me a big glass full. Because they knew, I don't know if the water stunk or what, but they knew this is poisonous water. This will jack us all up. We're going to be dead meat. And the Lord gives them some instruction to change bitter to sweet. And he says, just take a log and take a branch and throw it in there and it'll get fixed. You know, there's an area down in Guatemala that, uh, and I met this minister that came from this town. And when we were down in Honduras, we looked it up on the internet. They, they uh, literally, in this area in Guatemala, when you drive into the town, it's called, they've had such a move of God of people reaching people. And then they just started declaring God's blessing over their town. You can look it up uh, I want to say it starts with a G. But their carrots are like this big. Their tomatoes are like this big. And their town basically has no alcoholics. They just go after them praying. And I guess I don't know if they run out of town or what. But it is so blessed. But here's the thing. There is a port there that had not produced anything for years. And I, I met this guy. And they went and the Lord instructed him to pour something into the bay, you know, or throw something into the bay. And all of a sudden it started producing jumbo shrimp. Now, here's the thing. That's a good story. You can see the fruits and vegetables online. I watched this guy. He said, God just moves in our lives. We just trust him. And this one, he said, anybody need healing? This one guy said, I got a problem with my calf. I watched him. He took a bottle of anointing oil and poured it on him. You know, we think of dabbing, civilized. He just knew put oil, so he poured it on him, prayed, and I watched that guy's calf just start moving all over the place and just become normal right there, and the guy walk away. And he said, that, that water changed. Well, that's not the only time. Back here, the water became sweet. And it was by God's direction. 
It would seem foolish to throw a piece of wood in water and make it sweet. But I'll tell you what, how many people have rejected the wood of the cross and what Christ did there and have perished in the bitterness of sin? Or people who have persisted to follow after sin and didn't realize there, you know, even after getting saved, that there is a sweet life in the Lord. For all to have and all to walk in. God's design is not for our lives to be partially messed up and partially good after we're saved. Here is a thought. Often people think of the curses that come for disobedience from God. You know, most people, if they're Christians, know that if somebody disobeys, they open the door to the enemy. And they open the door, and just living in the world, the enemy can come. But people know, and they'll know, you know, if you do this, it will do this and cause this. They know all those verses, and they're pretty convinced, you know, of the bitterness of not serving the Lord and that this bad stuff will happen, but the Lord has made a way for life to not be bitter, to have provision in every area. That's what God wants. He loves us. But what's interesting is there are people who are very convinced, oh, the reason this is happening is I've disobeyed or I've done wrong. And it could be true. But here's the thought. If we're so convinced that um, disobedience, which is really unbelief or doubt, and obedience really is a faith thing, if we're so convinced on the negative side, we should be at least, if we're convinced that the bad happens and opens the door then we should be at least as convinced that if the bad happens and God says it does for a certain reason, then we should know this. Then the good that happens, we should be just as persuaded or at least as persuaded. Meaning we can't just think, oh, well, that bad that's happening in our country is a curse from God. Well, what about the blessing? Okay, maybe that has been invoked, and maybe some of it is invoked. But that doesn't mean it has to spill over and totally wreck your life. And we should be just as persuaded about the blessing and the blessings of God as we are the open door of the enemy. Because there are people who will just sit and go, yeah, but all the bad I've done, all the bad I've done. It doesn't matter. The cross is a place of, of you accept, you believe, repent, you're in a different path. Well, you know, I just have to pay for my past mistakes. Does that mean you're going to have to go to hell for a little bit after you die too? I mean, not long. Now, I understand we can do things after the flesh to choke the word, and then it doesn't bring forth fruit, but we can change that. I said, we can change that. And if the waters back then were made sweet, it can't be against God's design 
that it, to, to produce this provision out of an area where it seems there could be no provision, but it came through a, a piece of wood, a tree, and where humanity would seem like foolish to get provision in every area of your life came through a tree, the foolishness of the cross. If I live in an obedient life and faith, I should expect blessing. And I should stand against things that would be contrary to that. Everybody should. I mean, if we can expect a curse, and people will be ready. Oh, wonder what they did wrong. You know, when Jesus was on the earth, people thought like that. Who did sin? This man or his parents that he was born this way and this bad happened in his life. That was just their mentality. Jesus straightened their mentality out and said, neither. This didn't happen because of that. And he didn't say it happened because God wanted to show his work either. If you read it with no punctuation and just read it because of how it was written, he'll just say, I'm gonna, I am going to do God's work here. So basically, he said, I'm going to show you God's work. I'm going to show you that good is what God wants in our life. Now, I understand if we refuse and rebel, that's on us to open the door. Are you with me? The first promise, Jesus, disciples mention this. The first promise, you know, with a good outcome is just being obedient to your parents. Amen? Well, one of our parents is, you know, our parents are natural and spiritual when we're saved. You get what I'm saying? We have a heavenly father and a Lord, and then we have our natural parents too. And if he has things out there that are promises of blessing, I'll tell you what, it doesn't take long to repent. And go, I change. But then on the other hand, what if I'm doing what I'm supposed to? Then I need to figure out what these things are. And then when other stuff comes in against me, I need to make a stand against it and go, this is not how my life is supposed to be. And you have the authority as a believer to go, no. Amen. And then we can act on the word. I'm going to close with this verse right here. Didn't know if I'd read it. Proverbs 10. And we'll close right here. Proverbs 10. If we know what it is to, to drink of the sweet water of salvation, that's not the end. That's only the beginning for the believer. There's more to that. When the Lord comes back, he's going to find a glorious church. We're not just to drink or read of the scriptures in our first encounter with the Lord, have something happen inside of us and go, whoa, I recognize that work. That, that should be a regular thing. Proverbs 10, verse 14. Now remember, what, what did we read at first? Foolishness to those who perish. Notice this, 10, 14. Wise people... Well, for those of us who have given their lives to the Lord, 
we would have taken a wise step to accept the work at the cross. Wise people store up knowledge. What do wise people do? Store up knowledge. What do wise people do? Store up knowledge. What do wise people do? Yeah, they, they, they accept knowledge. They, they get the right kind of biblical knowledge. But the mouth of the foolish is near destruction. So obviously, if we gather up knowledge correctly, it will govern our mouths. And will keep us away from destruction. Isn't it interesting that a wise, and, and think about it, I can advance my wiseness. Is that a right way to say it? Somebody's like, no, that's how I'm saying it though. You're all, that's not wise. The principle is, wise people store up knowledge, but the mouth of the foolish is near destruction. Wise, foolish. The wise mouth will be influenced by the knowledge he gathers. It implies that he will be moved away from destruction. It implies that. If you read Proverbs, you can see that a mouth that's influenced by wisdom of truth that they have gathered and, and by our actions will keep us from a destructive path. But if not, what will happen is stuff will start coming out of my mouth that will keep me near destruction. The cross was to keep us in an abundant life. We need to feast on the truths that were bought and paid for. At the cross, for the rest of our life, it will govern your mouth. And when opposition comes, you'll stand against it. Like Jesus did, not like Adam and Eve. And then destruction won't have to be a part. I don't know about you, that's, that's bad news. I mean, good news. Wondering who was awake. That's good news. He did a lot at the cross for you and me.